0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast. I am your host, Corey Walsh. Uh, Today we will be talking about The Last Dance. We'll be joined by Ian Lenahan as we go through our final thoughts on the last two episodes as well as the entire series of The Last Dance. It's been really fun watching this and a great distraction for us who are really missing out on sports in our daily lives. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to subscribe and listen to our other stuff. We talk about NFL as well as entertainment stuff. And if you like us, we also have a YouTube channel, so just give us a listen. But now let's talk to Ian. All right, so now on the line once again for the final time to talk about The Last Dance, we have Ian Lenahan. Thank you for coming in.
1: Let's do this.
0: All right, well, it's over. So that is sad. Now we have nothing to fulfill our Sundays. No
1: more sports. There's Cornhole on ESPN The Ocho, and that's it.
0: And Bundesliga soccer.
1: Can't wait to see it actually byron though so that's a plus <laughs> thank
0: god so episode uh nine addressed the uh eastern conference finals between the pacers and the bulls which was um uh, where they kind of left off last time so they're just going once again with this chronological back and forth that apparently is confusing half the world still nine episodes in
1: which i don't know how you have it where adapted. are we in
0: <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> Is this him on the wizards <laughs>
1: Last to the past year, right? Um, I thought it was interesting to see that, especially with all the buildup in the very beginning of the series um, of the documentary, talking about you know the the Pistons teams that really give Jordan a hard time with the Jordan rules, and then Michael having to overcome like you know, I guess his own like individual demons with trying to catch up to like Magic and Larry Bird. I thought it was interesting that they said that the Pacers series, as it turns out, at the very end, was by far the hardest and. You know, they were maybe they weren't even as physical as other teams, or maybe even as strategic. But just the way they were playing and the way they were rolling made it the hardest series for them in that whole dynasty.
0: Yeah, I think probably it was like a culmination of them being so far into their run, and then the Pacers. I've seen like every team that they played that they said was their toughest was never more skilled than them. That they were just more physical. But they said that basically (laughs) that Pacers team was better than they were. Well, my none of the Bulls did, but Mm Reggie Miller did which I feel like every person has said. They're like, yeah, I basically had Michael by the throat. (laughs) And then they, they so obviously I don't know who to believe. (laughs) Something that I
1: think differentiates um, the Pacers between all these teams too is they had such, just like an unwavering confidence in themselves. Every time Jalen Rose was, had a little cameo in episode nine, it was just unbelievable to see the things that he was saying. And I don't know, it seems like, again, going back to a team like the Pistons or maybe the Knicks before them, not to say that they weren't confident, but they had to specifically implement a certain level of physicality that they probably didn't have to think about with however many other teams in the league with the exception of, you know, like the Celtics at the end of their run or, you know, maybe some teams of the Western Conference, but they specifically had to do that with the Bulls, but the Pacers were already a mix of physical with, you know, good strategy and ability to hit clutch shots and you know you have someone like reggie miller who's up and coming and good role players like um jalen rose and mark jackson who i think someone had said was just like one of the like biggest assist masters in basketball history um they didn't have to implement anything they just had to build off their confidence
0: yeah i felt Also, a thing about these, like, I don't know, just watching this film in general, like, you see the relationship that these players have. Like, they goof around with each other off the camera. But, like, Mm -hmm. I know players today, like, everyone says they're super soft and, like, they just, like, are always just buddy-buddy on and off the court. I kind of feel like there is, like, a different level of intensity, I feel like, with players back then to now in terms of how they, like, interact. Like, because, like, if you think about the Warriors and – Cavs finals series they played each other like four years in a row and the only person I feel like that really embodied it was Draymond and LeBron Mm -hmm. but like everyone else was not like having that same level of hate I feel like on the court it was still like it just didn't have that animosity I think
1: I agree I think a word that I'm definitely not coming up with and that's been used for so many different things but not really to describe this I feel like 90s basketball was more smash mouth and in your face rather than like you were just saying, you have the continuity of, you know, say the Warriors and Cavs uh, run at the finals a couple years in a row. Yeah, you're right. No one was really, there wasn't any major bad blood that had ever, it's not like there was buildup to any sort of bad blood during the regular season, even though everyone knew that inevitably it would have been the Cavs and the Warriors. Those two teams weren't specifically gunning for each other, like going at each other's throats or in the media or anything, whereas everyone wanted a piece of the bulls and everyone wanted to knock them off so yeah i think you're right there was a certain um a level of physicality in the game but also a mental mental hardness mental physicality too
0: yeah i feel like that maybe could be in part to the way that the rules and that the game is played now because of the rules i feel like the game back then was more based on like how, like, mentally tough and physically tough you were because the rules allowed for so much more to happen, like, physically. Mm-hmm. And the game yeah. now is much more skill based than it is physicality. So, I mean, if you're getting beat the crap out of, like, Michael was in all these playoff series because of the way the rules were structured and you were allowed to do it, you're going to have much more animosity towards your opponents because you're like, you just slammed me into the hardwood like 20 times in one quarter. Mm-hmm but like the most you can do in today's game is just get moving, like just get picks set on you and you're just running through them.
1: Exactly. I mean, especially you look at the very beginning success, particularly of the Warriors and the rise of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, those elevator screens that like Zaza and Draymond were Mm -hmm. uh, setting. It's like, how do you get past that? You really can't. So of course someone as talented as Steph Curry is going to knock down basically everything that gets into his hands at the right moment. But, yeah, I don't know. There does seem to be, it's very evident that, you know, the every team who went up against Michael Jordan and the Bulls and, you know, whoever the superstar on those other teams might have been, whether it was Reggie Miller, uh, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, whoever, it was like there was some sort of streetball pride, you know what I mean, that really carried over because of that level of physicality, like you were just saying. If you get knocked down, if Michael Jordan gets knocked down, then, of course, he's going to, Come back at whoever it was, you know, 20 times harder, you know, an infinite amount times harder than he had before. So um, I'd say the biggest difference is that confidence and the ability to back it up and know that no matter how physical the game got, you always had to have a chip on your shoulder if you wanted to beat someone like Michael Jordan.
0: Yeah, which apparently everyone wanted to give Michael chips because it seems everyone at some point said something to Michael that got him going. And uh, the most famous case of this was in this uh, episode was Brian Russell,
1: which... Yeah, who the fuck is Brian Russell?
0: He's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> no, he's not. And uh, Don't fact check that. Yeah, everyone who's listening, fact check it, and don't tell me what you found. Um. So, Brian Russell, I guess, Michael was talking to Stockton and um, Malone when he was out of the league because they were practicing with the Bulls, I think they said.
1: Yeah, just like a like, yeah, some sort of informal thing.
0: Yeah, and uh, this he said that this rookie came up to him and was just like, oh, man, why'd you leave? Like, you're going to come back, though. Like, you're obviously going to come back. And Michael was, just looked at Malone and was like, can you tell this guy to, like, shut up? Then yeah, because he was like, he was oh, like, he he was like "Why'd you
1: leave? I, I could have been the one to lock you down. I had so much going up against you. I had so much building up to this. I could have taken your ass down or something like that."
0: Yeah, Malone's just like, "Ah, oh, man, he's a rookie."
1: And <laughs> I think John Stockton came on, and he was like, "You know, Brian Russell is just, you know, he's he's got a like, he's got a big heart, and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> something really, really."
0: John Stockton to stupid. me just sounds like your next door neighbor, like. He just says like the most like white phrase that he can to like describe like anyone else. He's just, yeah,
1: he's like your, he's like the uncle that you can't dislike.
0: He's just too nice. Like I feel like yeah. <laughs> even though like like this whole time it looked like John Stockton had P- PTSD about losing to Michael. He's just like you know like we were close twice and yeah that that was a blessing.
1: Because look where it led me now. I'm on Michael Jordan's documentary.
0: <laughs> this is awesome. These could have been the Stockton Ducks.
1: <laughs> hey, look, Ma, I made it.
0: I totally made it. I was in the finals twice. I lost in game six twice. But look at me now. <laughs> I'm, I'm teaching sucker. my high school basketball team.
1: Think about all the work that him and Malone and Jerry Sloan put in like for over a decade and then to have it fall short twice and back to back.
0: Up, and then end up on Michael Jordan's documentary.
1: <laughs> yeah, That's terrible
0: carl malone was not in it which is another uh big thing because another thing that added fuel to the fire michael said was that carl malone won the mvp in 1998
1: yeah i think if there's any huge takeaway besides the fact that from this documentary besides the fact that michael jordan can just channel anything and turn it into his favor and you know his own success i think the biggest takeaway was there were so many people who just like gave him that extra chip and thought that they could somehow take him down with their words or, you know, any sort of action outside of the basketball court. And just like time after time, no matter how persistent those quote unquote threats were, they just, everyone lost every single time. It was almost just stupid to see, but maybe like a little over halfway through the series, like how many people are actually going to do this? I feel like if you're quiet and you're kind of going about your work and you have, I guess that sort of confidence, like the, the Pacers had without really like showing up in Michael Jordan's face or anything. I feel like you have the best chance at beating him with that.
0: I feel like the team today that would have best played against Michael was probably the
1: Spurs. Yeah.
0: When do you ever hear the Spurs give anyone billboard material?
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's just not how like the only billboard thing about the Spurs is like Popovich's interview style sometimes how he just doesn't care at all and then tim duncan's we'll go juggling to, yeah like and then pop will go back to being one of the best coaches of all time with just all this confidence in himself and knowing that he doesn't have to prove anything to anyone i agree with that i think that they definitely would have gave them a run but yeah i doubt that anyone would have piped up and tried to have michael jordan you know succumb to any of their words or anything like that
0: yeah i think actually carl malone won the mvp in 1997 i think michael won it in 1998 i remember because like they felt like he deserved it because he carried a team that didn't have pippen or rodman for a duration of the year so i think it was 97
1: that oh okay, won MVP. Gotcha. good fact check thank
0: you i uh so the thing that led to this was the uh, famous not flu game i guess is what's happening um it was food poisoning they're saying and that five pizza guys delivered one pizza, which I don't know why they made that sound weirder than it is, because if they said that Michael used his name, then why would yeah. you be surprised if five guys are like, holy shit, it's Michael.
1: <laughs> you know what I was even more surprised about, though, was, which I think a lot of people were, and you probably were too, but I think it was his trainer whose name is like like Tim Grover or something along those lines. I never fully got his name, whatever. Um <laughs> He was saying the whole thing about, yeah, there are five guys who showed up at the door and blah, blah, blah. And I got to be honest. I felt weird about it. But Michael ate the whole pizza. And like, <laughs> like, you claim to be this huge trainer of, you know, like Michael Jordan and some of the best athletes of our time and of multiple generations. And yet you very like that could have been so much worse than food poisoning.
0: Yeah, I mean. Let's be honest, though. Ian is uh, two men who have definitely eaten their fair share of full pizzas. Yes. If you're hungry late at night, you're probably going to eat it.
1: Yeah, especially when Domino's mediums are like six bucks. You're just going to chow down on that motherfucker.
0: (laughs) I mean, who can resist the garlic (laughs) dusting that they put on that crust? I mean, let's be real. You know I
1: hate the garlic dusting, though. You still eat it. Hey, man, who the hell asked
0: you? side note if you can tolerate the way your breath tastes after having that garlic bread like crust yeah, then you it. deserve an, a reward cuz it's you really do cuz that is the worst ta- like aftertaste you could have
1: you know what i think is comparable is just like the way it, it is on your fingers the residue of it i hate it so much it's like when
0: you eat doritos and or cheetos and you get like the cheese powder on it except that actually tastes good <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's like 10 minutes after you finish a Domino's pizza where you're like, I'm going nowhere in life.
0: <laughs> I made a huge mistake with all my life choices.
1: To, I'm not gonna amount to anything. <laughs> and this was brought to you by Domino's. <laughs> it's always good in for the those for
0: those incoming college students. When you get your like Domino's packet with all your free discounts, do not take up on it because it's basically like you're signing up for meth.
1: And that's if you're going back to school. Hashtag COVID-19.
0: Hashtag Zoom University restarts again.
1: Run that back. Yeah, but back to Michael Jordan. Um, I was just very surprised with, I'm pretty sure, with the trainer who said that. So um, I, I would really love to know what Michael Jordan's reaction to that would be. Imagine if they had handed him the tablet um, in his own certain cameo after the trainer said that. And he's like, you knew that the pizza was going to be bad, and you'd let me have it? But
0: also, it was the only place open. Like, I, I, I don't think – here's the thing. Most places that are open that late are open because they know that they're the only people that people will go to. Like, it's your last resort. So if you're buying yeah. a pizza from a last resort place, and five dudes just show up being like, we worked really hard on this, Michael. <laughs> and, you just, <laughs> and you just see, like, this, this weird – crafted with extra love. <laughs> Salmonella. Enjoy. <laughs> By the way, Stockton is my favorite Mormon. Here you go.
1: This was hand-tossed with fentanyl.
0: (laughs) I mean, love. Malone says hi. I mean, Papa John. I have to go. (laughs) So basically this leads to Michael having looked like he went through the gates of hell and back.
1: Yeah, he was, what, at like three or whatever odd time in the morning was like in the fetal position, sweating absolute bullets and like, 100 and whatever degree fever and just, I don't know, would you rather play with the flu or food poisoning? I would much rather play with the flu. I,
0: I have never had food poisoning, so I cannot say, but I feel like either way, I feel like you're really achy when you have the flu, so I don't know how you would persevere through that.
1: But this That's one- true. But this is like I, me I, once
0: again not knowing what food poisoning is like.
1: And also not... No offense, neither of us having the capabilities that Michael Jordan has or playing in the NBA I am very offended. (laughs) (laughs) But also, with the food poisoning, too, because it may not be... Like, you may not immediately know what it could be. You might speculate that it could be other things, too. It's just human nature. You always assume that, like, oh, man, I have this scratch on my leg. It's got to be early signs of stage whatever. You know, it's just, like... You just go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like I would rather play with the flu. No one's asking this, by the way. I don't know why I'm going on this. I, like I-, <laughs> I am very yeah. passionate about
0: <laughs> disease comparison. <laughs> affecting All
1: years for Ian's disease control measures. Um, but I feel like with something like food poisoning, too, you might then go into, like, a state of panic because there's so many different things. Whereas if you're aching with the flu and, like, you can recognize, like, oh, these are flu symptoms – But food poisoning is just an onslaught of it all at once, so I don't know, Corey. I just uh, wanted to throw that all in there. (laughs) That was beautiful, man. You're welcome, is what I'm trying to say.
0: You're welcome, people, for that (laughs) that answering the world's most prevalent question. What disease (laughs) would you rather play with? (laughs) So Michael comes out drenched in sweat, looks visibly gassed. Um, Their yeah. slow start They overcame an 18-8 to deficit In the first quarter to get it tied At 85 in the fourth Michael hits a super clutch three Looked pretty contested <laughs> Then uh, they show that famous video of him holding on to Pippin Basically for dear life And Pippin's just probably like, dude, you're very sweaty <laughs> Dude, that's my ass cheek <laughs> Get your finger out of my asshole <laughs> I'm feeling a little frivolous, Pippin <laughs> Uh, and then, basically, after the game, we find out that <laughs> the Jazz head coach had no idea that Michael was sick. And I was just like, how do you not know? I mean, the dude's, like, grabbing onto Pippen for dear life. Basically, like, d- like sweating the entire floor into a lake. Yeah. And he visibly looks terrible. But <laughs> you're just like, man, that damn Michael. He looks just as young as he used to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is the first time hearing this. It's, yeah, it's too bad they really portrayed Jerry Sloan. In these couple cameo appear or just like footage appearances, they just really made him look the exact yeah the exact opposite of what his career amounted to, you know like very successful back to back finals appearances. Yes, he lost them both, but also hall of fame coach to John Stockton, Karl Malone, like a bunch of really good people. So that didn't that didn't yeah they that didn't portray him in the best light.
0: I think I think Jerry Sloan's walking away going like damn. I look good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They asked me to make a cameo, actually. Is he still alive?
0: Uh, I'm going to hope so that he is.
1: Hope to hear from you, Mr. Sloan.
0: (laughs) I think we have become your biggest fans.
1: Thank you for all your work. I'm looking it up right now. All right. Hold on.
0: And uh, after that, they kind of talked about the uh, sentiment that uh, silently that Kerr and Michael shared over how their fathers both were murdered
1: and how they said they were alive. Mur- oh, oh, thank sorry, God. Sorry, not the fathers. <laughs> I said it at the worst point. No, Jerry, Jerry Sloan is 78 years old. It's a hoax! <laughs> sorry, everyone.
0: <laughs> Jerry Sloan is alive. Unfortunately, neither of the fathers
1: are. No, sorry everyone
0: and that created quite a bond between uh the two players i think but that's what kerr kind of alluded to but they also said they didn't talk about it. so i think it was just one of those like understandings that like you don't yeah, want to talk about un-
1: it an unspoken bond like you under understanding that there's just a deeper thing than just your teammate camaraderie and your brotherhood on the court i guess
0: <laughs> and stealing all of your money during blackjack dude and uh if it wasn't the punch in the face that tied them together
1: i love you man (laughs)
0: um you said you really enjoyed kerr in this episode
1: yeah i was really happy that they um I, i wasn't too sure because in the advertisements leading up to um the last dance you saw that steve kerr was on there but you also saw people like like Barack Obama and just other
0: Chicago resident Barack Obama.
1: Yeah. Like very recognizable people, especially in the sports world. Um, but then obviously some of those really famous figures weren't a key part. And so I was kind of wondering like, Oh, is Steve Kirk going to come back and have more cameos? So I was pleasantly surprised to see that in episode nine, he got a decent chunk. It's unfortunate that, you know, the information they were disclosing was, it was uh, yours and my first time hearing it. But also, you know, it's sad that that had to be the reason that they were talking about him so much. But um, I like that it kind of showed a little a little bit of his evolution into what became a very iconic moment in the 1997 NBA Finals.
0: Yeah, where uh, basically it was that Kerr was doing really bad in game six. And he was, yeah. and it just didn't look like he was going to shoot his way out of his slump. He said he like role players only get like five shots a game.
1: Yeah. And he was just screwing the pooch on every single one of them.
0: But he said like, you can't let every shot have more weight than the other. If you have such limited opportunities, cause that will lead to like your detriment. And then he basically mm-hmm. said to Michael or Michael said, like, you better be ready. Cause the ball is going to come to you. Cause I know the double team's coming. And curse said, <laughs> I will be ready. And then he hits that that jumper and he said he basically earned his wings he felt like on that team
1: and something else that I really liked from that um couple minute period when they're talking about that shot too is um Steve Kerr in the very beginning of it all was saying that he first came to the Bulls he was initially drafted by the Suns and was there for a year then I don't remember if he directly went to the Bulls after but he went when to he the got Cavs the
0: Cavs and then the
1: Bulls yeah that's what it was um and then when he got to the Bulls, that was John Paxson's last year. And, of course, earlier in the documentary, there was that um, brief little part about how in the finals against the Lakers, it was, yeah, where Michael um, Phil Jackson went up to Michael Jordan was saying, you know, like, it's great that you're trying to take all these shots and, you know, obviously you're a great player and everything, but if you start trusting your teammates more – then that's what's really going to create success. So then he looked at him and was like, well, who's open? And Michael Jordan said John Paxson. Um, and so it was int- – and then John Paxson obviously won on a roll and on a tear, and they ended up winning against the Lakers in that finals. But then to see Steve Kerr saying that John Paxson took him under his wing, and then eventually Steve Kerr had his own John Paxson moment at the hands of you know, Michael Jordan assisting him, I thought that was a nice little um, – again, a nice little evolution into um how Steve Kerr became an integral part of the dynasty, as it turns out.
0: Yeah, they really closed out, I feel like Kerr pretty well
1: in yeah. Yeah,
0: I feel like that was Kerr, they opened and closed Kerr pretty quickly. They're like, here's Kerr's life. And that's the end of Kerr. Alright, let's keep rolling.
1: Right, get back in your cage.
0: <laughs> Alright, this is Michael's show. He's paying for it.
1: I think one of my favorite parts of the whole documentary is Steve Kerr at the rally where he makes oh, yeah. he, like, he was like so you know, Michael Jordan said, hey, look, Phil, I'm not really comfortable in these situations, but, you know, Steve, Steve said, why don't we give it to Steve? So I had to bail out Michael Jordan again, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: Yeah. Steve Kerr definitely has a lot of personality. Like, he's not just some – I don't I don't think Kyle Korver has the same personality that Steve Kerr does. Let's no, I
1: – no, and I, I think – yeah, I think someone who – I. Okay, so I think this is where we're going to differ a little bit, but I think Steve Kerr is a great coach in today's NBA because he, yes, he was a three-point specialist, but also um, he wasn't, I guess, a three-point specialist relative to the majority of the success for the Bulls um, and the second Mm three-peat. But so the fact that he was more of a role player, and as he put it, he... And other players on that team got to become overachievers um, because of Michael Jordan's urging that they perform like that. I think it's in all major sports, too. I think it's people who are role players with a broader understanding of the way that, you know, each moving part to the whole of whatever respective game they're a part of, the way that that works. I think that's what makes a really great coach. And even though he's got a very talented Warriors roster, obviously, I think the reason that he is such a great coach is because he's a player's coach because he knows how to relate to each individual cog of the whole. you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he's like the glue. He's like the glue guy in coach form, I guess, Yeah, is the way to look yeah. at
1: it. Yeah.
0: Uh, so the way that Episode 9 closed out was that they talked about Game 7 of that Pacers-Bulls series. Basically, the media does what the media always does. They're like, this is the end. But Michael does something that no one really does where they he basically guaranteed it and said, yeah, we're going to win game seven. Like, there's no yeah. problem. We're going to win. And after another slow start for the Bulls being down 12, uh, Steve Kerr hits a clutch three after a jump ball that was allegedly – they said if they didn't win that, that they felt that series yeah. was over.
1: Yeah, because then the Pacers, if they had taken the shot – if they had gone to the court and taken the shot and made it, they would have been up five with, like – I think maybe like four and a half or five minutes left. Yeah, in. which
0: back then was really hard because like threes weren't prevalent. So you couldn't shoot your way out of a deficit, really. Exactly. And uh, they – spoiler alert, the Bulls won. I know. That is shocking. And uh, there wasn't – the thing that I thought was notable is there wasn't a heavy amount of Michael scoring, it seemed, in that late portion. But that could also have just been the way they filmed it. But they also like said that this was due to their championship DNA.
1: Yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe there wasn't as much of a Michael Takeover because there wasn't any sort of direct influence or any sort of direct chip on his shoulder. Obviously, the media was saying, you know, um, and there were different mm-hmm. members of the media who made appearances. In the last dance, um, talking about uh, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference. Like, David Aldridge was like, he said it, I think, three or four times. He was like, oh, I really thought this was it. I thought game seven was going to the Pacers, especially in the last couple of minutes. Like I thought the Bulls dynasty was over. When David so, Aldridge
0: popped on, did you also want to just press the A button over and over and hope he yeah. just went away?
1: Yeah. He's the worst on 2K. Oh, if you, if you've ever listened to David Aldridge on 2K, it's because you're not actually listening. It's because you left the room to like, go get a snack or something.
0: <laughs> and the demo comes on.
1: Yeah. It's yeah, so dumb. But, um, Yeah, it was him and a couple other people, but maybe there wasn't as much of a Michael Jordan takeover at the end of Game 7, more of a team effort, because it's not like you had someone like like a Brian Russell personality or anyone, Um, and it's not even like someone like Reggie Miller, who's their best player arguably, was even making a big fuss about like, we're going to take down the Bulls. They had that confidence, but I don't think they were up in his face or saying anything to that regard, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, and that basically closed out episode nine. It finished with him and um, Larry in the hallway where Michael basically Jeez. consoled him the best way Michael Jordan could by saying, you bitch, fuck you. And then he basically <laughs> said,
1: go work on your golf game. You have
0: all the time in the world now. <laughs> and Larry just laughed probably. But then like once he turned around, he's like, man. Starts starts crying like, God <laughs> damn it. He calls magic. He did it again. <laughs> Uh, This transitioned then to episode 10, which Mm -hmm. um, opened up with a a new Michael meme of him just flexing his early music release. And he's just like, "Bet you guys don't know what this is because I got it first. And then he just goes back to like bopping his head up and down to the music. And uh, another notable thing early on was Michael's kids finally showed up. (laughs) So that was Uh, interesting.
1: I, I think the documentary, maybe it's because as maybe as odd as it could sound, maybe 10 parts, well, definitely 10 parts is not enough to completely get every single perspective on the whole experience and the tribes and tribulations of it. You probably would need like 20 episodes or more, maybe, like, I don't even know. I, I don't even know if you could put a number on that, to be quite honest, but I was very surprised that his personal life didn't come more into it, with the exception of what happened with his father, but the fact that his kids didn't show up until... Episode 10 and there was just no mention of um, their mother his first wife who I think was is Juanita Juanita Jordan is the (laughs) I don't don't know what her surname is but yeah I was very surprised
0: I could have done without one David Aldridge interview for more kids
1: (laughs) yeah I I wholeheartedly agree
0: and uh, another thing the reason they honestly brought them up was just to talk about how brutal playing in utah was that they weren't even allowed really in the arena which once again i know this comes as a shock utah jazz fans are the worst fans in the league and i know one player right now that could probably agree with it and his name is russell westbrook
1: brody the brody. Brody. Yeah, it's such, a, such a weird just it's just an odd thought like the land of the mormons you think like like Mitt Romney is one of the most famous people. John Stockton. For me for me at least, I think of like Mitt Romney when I think of Utah or like Jimmer for So <laughs> the pride I just, I just see all the <laughs> like someone just yelling at the top of the lungs in the documentary, like from the front row row, like fuck you, Michael Jordan, all this stupid stuff. Jesus hates and you. It, yeah, and they've got, like, fireworks going and all this different stuff. I'm like, oh, my God. This is not <laughs> what I thought Utah – I thought Utah was all, like, sister wives and green pastures and
0: – Polygamy.
1: Like, everyone's a milkman or something.
0: <laughs> They're all just giving each other milk, dropping it off at each other's <laughs> doorstep. By the way, we will burn the sitter Michael Jordan today. <laughs> Go Jazz!
1: <laughs> i was very surprised. John
0: Stockton's like, dang, this is a quaint neighborhood. I'm so glad to be a part of an <laughs> integral community god
1: definitely not a cookie cutter lifestyle i guess
0: god we live the dream and uh for those so the first game of this series jazz won in overtime bulls win game two game three is where it really got interesting as the mm-hmm. bulls beat the jazz um and held them to 54 points which was the lowest score ever recorded since the shot clock was invented it would also probably be the lowest score of any halftime in today's nba I would have to say, based on how high the scoring is.
1: Yeah, that's just I I was again, because I wasn't experienced with nineties basketball, since we were not born until you nineteen ninety seven, me nineteen ninety eight, very surprised to see that the low scores, but then you think about the physicality of the game and you know what it took to score, blah 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 versus today's NBA.
0: But fifty selectively, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. And 54 points that's 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 really shitty man that's bad (laughs) and then of course it makes Jerry Sloan again Look, like absolute absolute absolute
0: (laughs) then they pan to John Stockton he's probably like you know we just got what the Lord gave us (laughs) (laughs) which that night was 54 by the way why am I getting interviewed again (laughs) yeah Sloan just goes like this can't be the score right no the score no this no this is the whole game (laughs) <laughs> this isn't halftime.
1: Oh, my God. Not good.
0: And after that, Dennis Rodman did what Dennis Rodman does and just went absolutely AWOL. Except this time, not with uh, Phil Jackson's permission. He just left.
1: Yeah, he was like, what, smashing chairs over people's asses with Hulk Hogan <laughs> yeah. and all this stuff. And he's like back with Carmen Electra and all this stuff. And The uh, MVP the, yeah. of
0: all these episodes, Carmen Electra. <laughs>
1: oh my god um yeah but this one was so much different than obviously um his vegas excursion a couple years prior which they had highlighted in the documentary early on a totally different because he didn't ask for permission and just left without saying anything to anyone b at a very different point in the season when he needed that vacation it was what maybe like around the All-Star break or something, or maybe just before it. was like it.
0: mid-season, like right before – like right when Pippen got back because he was like, all right, I'm, I don't have to be running yeah. anymore. I need to take a break. And now for this, he was just like, yeah, you know, I just I just know what I do. I just do it, and uh, they know what they got with me. Like, it's fine. I'm going to give 100% when I'm there. Yeah, I think he could have just told Phil if he were going to do it, I th- though.
1: I think to paraphrase, I think some of these words were actually said. He was like, yeah, you know, my mindset was I need to <laughs> – I need to go hang out with my boys. I need to, <laughs> I need to fuck every girl. I need to drink some beer. I need to, you know, do whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> he did that. That was, that was the Dennis Rodman, that I think
0: is boys I with understood. Kim Jong <laughs>
1: Un. Yeah, that's that's the one that I've come to understand through popular culture. A very different one than what was portrayed earlier on in the series.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people. I don't remember exactly what Twitter's reaction was, but I'm just going to assume that everyone was like, "Oh, dude, Dennis was so nuts. That's awesome." I just thought that was him. Like this time, I thought he was him being stupid. Yeah, he's just dumb. He's just like, I'm like, why are you? What? There's no reason to do WWE right now. I feel like WWE is like a world. It's like it really isn't. It's, it's year long. I don't think you had to do hang out with Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan's like, "Yeah, you know, you dude, you just gotta miss out on some practice."
1: You could probably find anyone. He could have found anyone in the Utah area who would have let him smash a chair over him because they would have been like, "Holy shit, it's Dennis Rodman from the Bulls, and he's paying me to let him <laughs> break a chair
0: over my ass <laughs>
1: just to blow off some steam." That's amazing. John Stockton Wait,
0: gets, document, he gets interviewed, and he's like, I, I offered Dennis Rodman to do it.
1: but he, I got he paddleboarded no. by Dennis Rodman.
0: Carl <laughs> Malone videotaped it. It was awesome. <laughs> Jerry Sloan had no idea it happened, which is a complete shock, because he was so aware of everything that was happening. He was spools. still
1: hyperventilating over what he thought was a halftime score, but was actually the game.
0: <laughs> he was still the in disbelief that Michael had the flu. <laughs> he, <laughs> he thought a 103 fever was normal.
1: One year later, he was still in
0: shock. <laughs> I still can't believe he had the flu. <laughs> and now the doc comes out and he's like, he was food poisoning.
1: <laughs> um, Yeah, this was – yeah, that was just dumb on dinner. But also, I think a testament to Phil Jackson not just being one of the greatest NBA coaches but also one of the most exemplary coaches in um, the four major sports but all sports um, in general is because – at least the interview footage that they showed in the documentary was not breaking any sweat. And maybe you could have gotten a similar reaction out of maybe a great coach like Bill Belichick. But then you also know that Bill Belichick would have been preaching like, okay, you know, we don't need him. It's the next man up. That person will just prove their worth. And, you know, Yeah, whatever. Essentially, we don't need that person.
0: We saw examples of that with uh, Jonas Gray just missing the alarm after having one of the greatest rushing performances ever. And then Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl when he just I think they said he was just not in the right headspace to play. in it was the excuse that was created.
1: Yeah. And it's so unfortunate because you look at um, relative to their sport. Now, Jonas Gray and Malcolm Butler are virtually nobody's in comparison to other people in the league. And so I just think a testament to Phil Jackson's character as a coach and his ability to create deeper relationships off the court. Because we saw earlier on in the series, too, that um, he really took a liking, kind of like Chuck Daly with the Pistons, he really took a liking um, and a fascination with molding Dennis Rodman into the player that the team needed. You know, and so I think that, the fact that he wasn't preaching this whole thing of, well, when Dennis gets here, or if Dennis gets here, it's the next man up or whatever. He was like, well, haven't heard from Dennis. No, it wasn't scheduled time off. Um, Essentially, we'll figure it out. I just Mm -hmm. think that that instilled trust, or I guess for lack of a better word, trust is,
0: Please I think that
1: was, yeah, right. I think that was obviously beneficial to the cause because Dennis Rodman knew like, At least I think that he knew that he could come back and still be trusted by his teammates and, most importantly, his coach to go out and do the great things that he'd been doing for the team for so long.
0: (laughs) Phil Jackson took a peyote and just trusted that everything was going to be fine.
1: (laughs) Popped an Advil
0: and said, you know what, he'll be back. (laughs) I know it. This Xanax better work, though. (laughs) And um, the thing that was really interesting about that is that, well, uh, the – Bulls lost game five because Michael missed a shot and then the last shot. But he said how basketball is a thrill because even in those last two seconds when he took his shot, he said like feeling how the room like just was on pause until the like it didn't go in is one of the most thrilling feelings in sports. And then they took that and then led that into game six where they called it the calm before the storm. And the reason game six wasn't as big as people thought it was, was that because I think a lot of people think of the playoff format as it is now as being a two-two-one-one-one, but back then it was a two-three-two. So even though, so once they lost Game Five, they were never going back to Chicago again. But they were going to be in Utah for the next two games, and yeah. that that was pretty huge. At the same time, I guess, and uh, Pippin's back was the huge story of uh, this uh, game.
1: Yeah, um, he, he, Yeah. essentially he just said in one of the cameos regarding game six, he was like, yep, I went down with a back injury and I was five minutes on the court, five minutes off receiving uh, treatment in the locker room, and I was a decoy that whole game.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he's what he really meant was,
1: Phil slipped me a few peyotes. And I was just ready to roll. <laughs> Which also I think was like, I think it was very – obvious that he was going to be used as a decoy at least then again i'm talking about this however many years (laughs) after the fact it's scotty is one of the most talented players in the world so he definitely could have come back and done a lot of really good things and no one would have known it at the time but it looks like from the footage the way that he was hobbling about at some point you might have suspected like wait a minute
0: but the highly observant jerry sloan has to know (laughs)
1: He's not out there for high impact. He's out there. No, he's not a decoy. Or no. is he? God. Like, he was clutching his back and running like he was about to like, <laughs> drop a deuce on the court at different points. <laughs> like He looked that in pain from running at points. I mean, so. the announcers
0: even knew it. They're like, yeah, Pippen's grimacing. Meanwhile, they check on Jerry Sloan, and he's just like, Michael played with the flu?
1: Yeah, he's still looking at the box score like, oh, my God, 54 points. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe this happened to me. Poor Jerry Sloan.
0: <laughs> I think we're talking about Jerry Sloan more than any other podcast has. <laughs>
1: Probably more than Jerry Sloan's family has.
0: <laughs> <laughs> more than John Stockton in his uh, high school, his high school <laughs> coaching career.
1: <laughs> um, oh, sorry, what were you going to
0: say? Oh, no, I was just going to say it seemed that um, – Michael Jordan was, like, combating fatigue while Pippen just kept on leaving. Like, he left in the first. He returned in the third. And then um, they took Michael out – or they took Pippen out. And then they had him play the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter. But that was also after they showed the Malone and Rodman just getting into each other's face the whole time.
1: I think one of the funniest reactions I've seen to that whole – like, the ass-slapping incident is um... – <laughs> Someone tweeted that out, and then someone, <laughs> someone <laughs> quoted that tweet. It was like, "Damn, but OG OBJ really got arrested for that shit at the national." Oh, that was
0: Miles Garrett. <laughs> Miles Garrett said it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god.
0: And then o- o- Odo Becca responds like, "Yeah, man. Like, and yours I got- was actual
1: assault, though." <laughs>
0: yeah, I got charged with assault, and you somehow didn't get charged. It. <laughs> oh God. That was that was that was really funny when that I read that and I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe this
1: is on Twitter. Like I feel
0: like this is something you would just text, be like, damn yeah, dude, not- you should be in jail right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Twitter remains supreme. <laughs> and then
0: uh, OBJ goes, Haha, dude, you should have been charged with murder. <laughs> and Vaz Garrett's like, Haha, laughing emoji. I just got unsuspended. <laughs> un- uh, Please shut up. <laughs> And then the thing that also happened was uh, Stockton hit a clutch three with 41 seconds, but then they decided – but then they said the greatest sequence in sports occurred where uh, Michael stole it from Malone after Malone was going into isolation in the post mm-hmm. on the block, and uh, Michael came and stole it because he usually would trail off and follow the uh, cutter. That would yeah, but he didn't. Yeah, he didn't, and then he just stole it. And then it then the whole game turned to slow motion the way they panned it, not in real life, unless you're Jerry Sloan and you might be suffering a stroke. (laughs) And, uh, the whole, everyone was basically like, yep, we know what we gotta do. We need to get out of Michael's way. We know what's happening. I'm like, do you see Dennis Rodman where he just like walked? He's like, yeah, I knew what was happening. I was just going to walk. It was going to be sick.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah. Oddly enough, I think Scotty Pippen was the one who was like most in tune with the play. And he's like the way he was hobbling. He was still running faster than everybody else. And, you know, with able bodies was running. The Coyotes
0: um, kicked in in the last 41 seconds and uh, Pippin just got his last bolt of energy.
1: Yeah. Rodman didn't even go into like set a screen or anything. Kukos just like was hanging out in the corner. Pippin was wherever. I don't even know who the fifth guy on the court was. Maybe it was like it was Ron sc- Harper. Or I think
0: it was their center who has the, um, the goatee.
1: Was it Wennington? Yeah. Or-
0: Wennington, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, if, Oh, I was just gonna say really quick. If I wanted anyone's perspective of that moment, it would it would have been Brian Russell, but he was just he did not make a single cameo in this whole thing.
0: But <laughs> John Stutch is like, guys, I got this. I'll take <laughs>
1: He's a, a great guy.
0: Brian Russell tried his gosh darn hardest to <laughs> pull out an absolute win for us, uh, the great fans of Utah who are so sympathetic and so <laughs> so frivolous with love making.
1: Brian Russell's just got a big heart and just just a, just a heart of gold.
0: <laughs> and Jerry Sloan knew exactly where he was and totally didn't think he was in college. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this led to the famous last shot of Michael Jordan's career with five point two seconds left, with the alleged uh, no push, as Michael said, "bullshit."
1: <laughs> uh. I I don't think it was I. What? All right, y- you go first.
0: I just feel like it looks like a push. Like I know, I think it's just one of those things that if you are one of the two people on the like receiving end or giving end of that play, mm-hmm. that you are the only two that knows. Because the way the photo or the video looks is that it does look like a push, but it could also be mm-hmm. like one of those things that Michael said. Where he was like he was already going backwards and it wasn't really him pushing as much as it was like momentum or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Bob Costas was the one who made the comparison where he was like it was no more a push than a maitre D bringing someone to their table at a restaurant. You know, so yeah. I don't know. I don't think it was a put pr- and I said this to I said this to you before we started, but my reasoning for it is maybe however much time there was on the clock, I think that maybe he could have tried to go in and um, drive in and maybe try to get a foul, and maybe he was trying to create some separation that way with his hand up top to begin with, but then realizing, you know, maybe at whatever point, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm Michael Jordan, and I can bury this shot because I'm Michael Jordan, and I'm the greatest of all time. Then I think the hand going down and going onto his lower back or his ass or whatever, kind of making it look like more of a push. That's where I think that that was just strictly momentum, and like his hand going down to be with the ball before going up the shots. I, but I also can see where you're coming from, where everyone comes from with that argument. So I do agree with you that it probably is a story that Brian Russell or, you know, anyone else who's been on the receiving end of that where they can be the ones to be like, no, but you weren't there to, really feel it or no? you didn't feel michael's warm was.
0: hand on your thigh
1: <laughs> scotty pippen
0: comes around the court i know what that's like oh all right trust me he was all over <laughs> me <laughs> it's a game <laughs> john stockton's like well that was just the most gosh darnedest unlucky play of all time
1: <laughs> <laughs> heads up boys
0: <laughs> boys i prayed last night and it did not pay off <laughs>
1: Now let's go get in the handshake line and try not to cry.
0: <laughs> now let's go look forward to tomorrow morning when one of our neighbors delivers us milk because we're all milkmen. <laughs> <laughs> and Bible uh, study at ten. <laughs> don't be late. <laughs> don't pull <pour sighs> a Rodman. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that leaves it. That um, that was the end of the run for the Bulls. It it died there.
1: And uh, yes. And at this point, there was still, like, 15 to 20 minutes left in the documentary.
0: And it was at that point that I wished they just made, like, that finals a little recap a little shorter so I could learn more about the aftermath, but I guess maybe they'll try to do it for a different documentary because I was very interested in how that was going to go, and I was very disappointed in that part.
1: Yeah, because I think they spent an appropriate amount of time reflecting and reflecting on and showing footage from the uh, championship parade at Grant Park but I think it was called Grant Park, but, um, you know, there was the moment where Scotty gets up to the podium and there's all this uncertainty about, oh, is he going to be back? Are they going to trade him? And, you know, what's Michael Jordan going to do now? Is Phil Jackson going to come back as coach? And I think they spent the right amount of time on that celebration and those questions at the celebration. But then the last couple minutes was, I think, just the biggest disappointment out of this whole... It was It was the part that you wanted to know about the most
0: Uh, yeah that
1: that, that was the whole point it's the the last dance is what it's called and you wanted to know about it and it was just so anticlimactic
0: i did like how they showed jordan i love when they showed jordan the the ipad of like other people's interviews and i liked him seeing Mm -hmm. the reaction of reinsdorf saying why he felt like the team should break up because like everyone felt the way michael felt i feel like at that time where he's just like bullshit (laughs) like obviously like this team would have been fine You could have, he said that basically that he could have put. If he said that, if uh, they offered one-year deals to everyone on the team, the only person that might require a little effort to come back would be Pippen. But besides that, they would all be on board. And he said basically that the idea is maddening that he left when he did because he really truly felt like they could win a seventh. Which that's I'm not gonna say whether that could happen or not because obviously you and I don't really know what the league was like in 1999, so we can't really evaluate competition. Or, like, how yeah, those players right. would play in the same system a year later. But you, it was definitely, I feel like it would be definitely worth a shot. I just don't know if they would win the whole thing.
1: That's the thing, too. And it's like, it'll be something that's forever discussed because if they had all come back on one year contracts, even if they had Coach Scottie Pippen coming back for however long, um, and if they lost, that's just. Imagine going through all that, or you know, depending on whatever their result may be. Maybe, you know, by some chance, unlikely, but maybe some chance they wouldn't have even gotten to the postseason, or maybe they would have lost in game seven of the finals. But anything short of winning the finals would have just been the ultimate disappointment. And then, what do you do? Reevaluate to see about coming back on another one year contract. I don't know. So, I think I kind of think that Reinsdorf wasn't, um, and I think that he comes across as a very good guy in the documentary, and I bet he is a good guy, but I feel like he also didn't acknowledge the entire situation in that he probably, you know, he obviously wanted Phil Jackson to come back, but I think that he probably recognized in terms of legacy and overall greatness and going down as one of the best teams to ever do in an actual dynasty of the league. You can't tell me that he didn't recognize if there's anything less in a championship, then we're going to look like the biggest fuckups of all time, you know?
0: Yeah. At the same time, though, I just feel like it's like one of those infrastructure things. You, mm-hmm. if you're rebuilding and you're deciding to do it, like knowing you're going to do it without the greatest player and the greatest coach, you're not going to have a good infrastructure because your infrastructure really wasn't created by Krause. Because, like, mm-hmm. yes, he assembled the team, but let's not forget that the team struggled until they fired or hired um, Phil Jackson. Like, they had Doug Collins, and he did fine, but they still got rid of him because he knew that the culture wasn't right. So you bringing in Floyd, which they did, I mean, that's not going to – there's no way those Bulls teams were ever going to recreate the atmosphere that those championship teams did.
1: Yeah. Um, and at the on that token, you, of course, have to make the argument and the point of how are you going to know something if you don't try it out?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, it, and that was really tough to see because the producer kind of fed it to him where he was like, was it, did it make sense or was it maddening? And Michael Jordan was like, well, of course it was maddening because I genuinely felt like we could have gone out. I could have, you know, we could have won the seventh. I would have had my seventh, um, just a couple of the people on the team. And, you know, I, it's too bad. Um, and then the way that they ended the documentary, I hated so much I hated it because it looked like it was the ending credits before the ending credits and I just didn't think that that did the documentary or um, the players or the coaches or the team or the memories of it any justice Because it was like Steve you know just popped up name by name uh, Phil Jackson didn't come back Michael Jordan retired again Scotty Pippen was traded Dennis Robin was released Steve Kerr was traded and then it goes to the actual ending credits. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and they handed the team this... over
0: to Pussyfoot Scott Burrell. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and no one's ever heard from them again.
0: He's look. Um, he's apparently still at UConn shooting layups with Jim Calhoun.
1: <laughs> and I mean, I I think especially with all this going on right now in the world with coronavirus and there being a lack of well, a lack of life as we knew it, but specifically in this regard, a lack of sports, beggars can not be choosers. But at the same time, there was so much to expect from the documentary. And in so many ways, I did think it fell short. And one thing that I really wish they did was if you're going to build up the idea of the last dance, which is what Phil Jackson called it, what they're referring to it as the whole year, if you're going to build up to it, then I think that you should go more into detail on that collapse and Collapse, but you know, the idea of being like, okay, you know, we're done with all this, we're moving on from this. They should have shown Jerry Krause in, you know, whatever interviews he had or newspaper clips saying things about the rebuild and, you know, about Phil Jackson not coming back. They should have shown media footage of Jordan retiring and Kerr getting traded and Robin being released and Pipping getting traded. That's where I think it really fell short, and that kind of leaves as good as it was. It was really really great as the last two episodes were that just left such a bad taste in my mouth
0: yeah i i too was disappointed i feel like that's the way that we expect documentaries to be though is like that they're gonna show the after as part of it and Mm -hmm. just having it kind of be like an afterthought like you said was kind of left a sour taste in my mouth because i was Mm -hmm. i was definitely interested in knowing like where they went how they did separately Obviously, we know how Phil did. We know Michael came back on the Wizards, but you don't. Know, yeah. You know Pippen played on the Bla- Blazers and Rockets teams that were pretty good. I
1: really, Look, honestly,
0: don't remember what happened to Rodman. And to be honest,
1: I don't either. But and then Steve Kerr goes off, and he goes to the wins Spurs like fourth fourth in a row, ninety nine with the Spurs. You know, I mean, so that just I, that really fell short.
0: Yeah, so that if I had one major gripe with the Last Dance, it was just the aftermath, I guess, is where I would stand is my major issue. And they didn't give Jerry Sloan an exit interview.
1: <laughs> yeah, I <I've laughs> poor Jerry. Um I think going back to kind of an earlier point I was making, you know, if you want to get the full picture of um the ins and outs of people's personal lives in relation to what was going on with the last dance and the bulls dynasty as a whole, it would take many more episodes to thoroughly cover. But at the same time, you could also argue that that's an entirely different documentary is, um, or different documentaries. You know, you could probably do an entire series or a couple episodes on the aftermath of the bulls and, you know, what that felt like for someone like Michael Jordan Rather than them just leaving it with him sitting on a stool smoking a cigar looking out at the ocean, <laughs> thinking about thinking, thinking about what could have been, you know, and there's and they could have brought his kids into it or his personal lives depending on, you know, whether or not people wanted to disclose certain information. So, as much as I am complaining, I also understand that what they were supposed to be focusing on was the last dance, and they did do that relatively well. But I also think that they could have gone. Um, a little more in depth on the things that the viewers really thought we were going to see.
0: Yeah. Overall though, great documentary.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you can't, you can't lie that it's what we all needed. And especially now is, um, and it's going to take more time too, but there are some sports that are coming back. And so it was a nice little, a nice little stopgap, I guess um, a nice little, a nice little void that was filled by having the documentary moved up.
0: Yeah, and now, now we're going to feel the real gap of not really being exposed to the sports that at least America is really looking forward to. Sorry, soccer. I know that I we like you, but I don't think the whole country is panning for Bundesliga soccer to return.
1: You know what's going to come back in June, though? The Belmont Stakes. <laughs> well, uh, there's that, yeah. That's that is actually pretty cool. But arguably even cooler, Corey, (laughs) is the Marble League that has gained a lot of acclaim on YouTube. Oh that was just sponsored by the John the um what the hell, John Oliver's show, the weekly show, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah. That was just he just became their head sponsor and now it's fully funded to come back in June. Thank God. (laughs) I prayers have been answered.
0: We will be covering that every week here on the Corey Walsh podcast.
1: <laughs> um, but now, something that's interesting to think about too, and a lot of different media, sports media outlets are talking about it and thinking about it is, what's the next great documentary that could come out? You know, however long that may be, maybe in the next couple of years. But like, what's what are some great ideas that you think could be um, turned into a really in-depth, well-reported documentary?
0: I feel like it's a very cliche. But as a Patriots fan, I want to know how, like, the last, like, 10 years yeah. of the Patriots have been. Because yeah. now that Tom has left, I feel like there's so much more that I want to know about, like, who, like, where it went wrong. Because you read all these reports now saying, like, exactly when they were, like, it was over. <laughs> like, I just <laughs> read one yesterday. I was like, when the Tom Brady lost to Pittsburgh in 2018, he knew it was over. And I'm like, what? Oh, wow. He, he came back <laughs> an- He came back for another year. <laughs>
1: I, yeah, I feel like you hear something new about that like every two months or something. So
0: for the Boston Herald's like, Tom Brady was tired of it after Josh McDaniels didn't give him a high five back in 2015.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I would also like to, because I think, especially with the way the Patriots are run too, um, we were talking about it earlier, but obviously the whole mantra is do your job and like next man up and all this stuff. And I think it's now time that this... Certain level of order and um, I don't want to say professionalism, but like obviously Perfectionism because of the way the Patriots have succeeded in the last uh, two decades or so I think now it's time for people who were a part of that process along the way to start speaking up Like I think Devin McCourty just recently said he was like yeah I mean, I don't I don't blame Tom Brady for leaving at all. You know, I wasn't even thinking about it. I doubt that that's really true and he's a part of the locker. And I'm not saying anything against Devin McCourty. Probably F- not, that Devin. He's listening. not that he's like listening or like getting actively mad at me for saying this. But you're a part of the locker room, and you know Tom Brady decently well. There were definitely times where you knew that he was frustrated and that he would have left. So I think, why not just start speaking up about them? Devin? <laughs> w- what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Um... <laughs> Yeah, so the Patriots would be a good one. I think there's been some rumblings about, um, or no, there was, I think there was a camera crew that followed Kobe Bryant's last season, wasn't there?
0: Yeah, they said that's in the works. Is Yeah. Which that would just be sad.
1: Yeah, that'll be very sad, but also you can imagine that it'll be really great for what it's worth. So
0: I don't think bad. that could be a 10-part series. I'm trying to think of something that's like this long, and it's like, it has to be something that was such a dynasty within itself. Cause you, to get like 10 episodes about like one team for a certain period of time, it has to be like such a prolonged, like period of greatness, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Oh my God. I don't even know. I do <laughs> because, and obviously you think about, um, technology and, you know, Modern contemporary sports, you know, I mean you can definitely say that in the 2000s that there's been an increase of camera crews and Production crews working with these teams and putting together all this really special footage, but you know continued success of teams of maybe like Like the 80s or this the 70s, or you know, however far it goes back like You can imagine that there wasn't um, a camera crew following around the UCLA Bruins when John Wooden was, you know, I think when they win like 11 championships, it was the 1950s and 60s. You knew that that wasn't happening. It probably wasn't happening when the Celtics were good for so long, you know, uh, with Larry Bird at the helm. So, yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there aren't too many examples of a really prolonged, successful team to follow.
0: I think that's what made this documentary special. I think that's why it was the only documentary series we've really seen that's been like ten parts. Is because that bull there's like the point of the documentary is not that there could be other ones like it. Like there are so few teams that achieved the level of excellence that the Bulls had. So saying that what's the next one gonna be isn't the point. The point is that there are so few that there probably won't be another one like it. And I think the only team or teams, I guess, that have ever had, like, this type of success that are comparative to the Bulls are, like, the Pats, the Yankees, and, like, early, like, 90s. The Red Sox, not so much, I guess. Would you argue the Red Sox even had no. that? Yeah, no,
1: yeah because the Red Sox were a weird thing. Um, they, yeah, it, as amazing as they have been in the 2000s, 2010s, it was every four, five, six years that they were winning, which is great, but also it's not something – and they were really shitty in a few of those years in between. You know, they finished in last place in their division a couple of times. So definitely not the Red Sox. Um, the San Francisco Giants won three in five years, but I think it's kind of the same thing of I, – I agree with you. There was nothing – there hasn't been anything like this. This is the first of its kind. And, yeah, to say that there could be something like it again kind of goes besides the point.
0: Yeah, I really, I it sounds so Homerish to say, but I do feel like the Patriots are the closest comparison to those Bulls teams in terms of sustained dominance over a period of time.
1: Yeah, I think, and especially having Tom Brady at the face of that franchise and an iconic coach, and you know, different role players in both eras of the dynasty. I guess you could say dynasties. Um, you know, in the very beginning, it was what was it like, like Troy Brown and. Dion um, Branch, D- yeah, Dion Branch, and Daniel um, Ad- Givens, <laughs> Adam Vinatieri, of course, was a huge part of those, and then, um, very different players in the second part of it, you know, with Gronk and Edelman, and like Devin McCourty in the defensive side. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I th- yeah, I think you're right. That would be the closest comparison. Um, I, you've heard just as well as I have, people talking about a potential Warriors documentary about it too, but at the same time, no, 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 not at all.
0: And we don't even know if the Warriors are necessarily over yet because the Warriors this year weren't even at full strength. Exactly. So you can't even be like, oh, well, the Warriors are done. They still have like three of their best players, and now the rumors of them getting Giannis are starting to swirl, so that's just going to make me really excited.
1: Thank God, that'll be fun. (laughs) I'd rather
0: they this might be a hot take. I would prefer they keep Andrew Wiggins
1: dude thank you for speaking what i'm thinking
0: <laughs> i think no one else in the in the entire world is thinking what we're thinking andrew wiggins is such a better fit
1: <laughs> and oh, just going off the whole documentary thing with the warriors it's definitely worth mentioning that uh yes, yeah, steve kurt is the coach of the warriors after having such prolonged success with the bulls and then going on to win a fourth in a row with the spurs and then Going on to be so successful with the Warriors, but also the year they broke the Bulls' seventy-two and ten record and went seventy-three and nine, they lost to the Cavs and blew a three-to-one lead. So it's like you knew that they were amazing, but then they never technically finished what they started. And you're right; they're probably not done.
0: No, they definitely still have a lot of competition left in them. That's what's so fun.
1: Yeah, I think, especially coming back from injury, too, I think we're going to see some really special things in the next couple of years, but who knows if it's even comparable to what the Bulls did.
0: Only time will tell.
1: Yeah, so I do agree with you, Corey Walsh. Great point. Um, Thank you, Ian Lenahan. You're very welcome. Yeah, who knows if who knows if you'll get something too similar and the Patriots are probably the closest thing, but in many ways they're very different, so It'd be interesting to see if anyone can come out with anything similar or any sort of idea that can grab the attention of a worldwide audience like The Last Dance did.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a great documentary, and uh, this has been a great time recapping these episodes with you, Ian. But th- we will be on again. We just need to figure out for what.
1: <laughs> I'll be back. I Again, not to plug it, Marble League is back in June 2020 let's get let's get buck wild <laughs> we
0: will pit we are gonna put an ownership stake into one of the marbles
1: Dude, that'd be dope oh my god we be big time that'd be so yeah people used to want to own horses but now people want to own marbles oh how the tables have turned fuck the belmont
0: <laughs> we got marble league <laughs> all right ian thanks for coming on
1: thanks for having me on cory all
0: right let's talk to you soon
1: Bye everyone.
0: All right. So thanks again to Ian for coming on the podcast and talking all things last dance. It's been great having him on for these past three episodes to talk about the last. Dance. it's been a great documentary. I hope you all enjoyed it because we're all missing sports. Like we said, and we're just really hoping that sports can come back soon. And I hope you all are safe during this time. And I know everything's starting to open up. So let's hope we all stay safe.